We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex, where oil country shops for printers and office equipment. Service is their business on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. And welcome back, everybody. 1233 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer down at Rexall Place again. The Edmonton Oilers and the Ottawa Senators uh, tomorrow. Mark Spector will join us on uh, tomorrow's edition of Oilers Now, and we'll have somebody on from Ottawa to help set up uh, the Sens' perspective on things as well. Do you want to mention some guests in Oilers Now? Receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper uh, Avenue. You can text us at 630-630. Tweet us at Oilers Now. Email us Oilers Now at 630jed.com. Brought to you by Homes by Abby. Uh, I want to get to this uh, one tweet here uh, sent to me from uh, Jeff in Orlando. He says, Bob, you said at the start of the 2013-14 season that a Chicago executive told you that Nick Letty would be better than Justin Schultz. The Oilers should hire that executive. And, uh, well, that executive was Norm McIver. And he said that, and it's a remarkable thing, and it shows you how things can change. And I'm going to discuss that with our next guest, as we're pleased to be joined on the line by Mike Johnson. Uh, Mike Johnson is our headliner today, presented by ATB Financial, ATB, Alberta's Home Ice Advantage. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Bob. How are you doing? Good. Here's where I'm going with this, Mike. When uh, Justin Schultz was a, uh, and, and this is what happens, we tend to have revisionist history with things. But when Justin Schultz was a free agent and chose Edmonton, you could imagine how excited the Order fan base was about uh, the potential of what Justin could do. And then uh, we had a lockout. And he went down to Oklahoma City, and he was the best defenseman in the league and had, you know, 48 points in 34 games, which is a ridiculous total uh, in, the, in, in the American Hockey League. His first year in the league, that 12-13 year, and he was a minus, but he had 27 points. The combined amount of Tyson Berry and T.J. Brody. Brody is the same age as Schultz, and Berry's a year younger. Um and so that was 12-13. I remember it started the 13-14 season having a conversation with Norm, and Norm said, he goes, I'm not sure Schultz is better than uh, uh, Nick Letty. And Nick Letty was a first-round draft choice, it should be uh, mentioned, who Minnesota traded to uh, Chicago in a bad deal. Um, but it shows you how things can change. What do you think happened to Justin Schultz here at Edmonton? Because his first year in the league, he looked like he was going to be a you know, 45 point a year defenseman that could could help uh, drive offense yeah yeah it's a good question and one i'm sure that the oilers uh fans management are, are scratching their heads about because it was like the Oilers had won not the lottery but another first round pick when he chose to sign with edmonton choosing to go with that young core and choosing to be part of that exciting time and it, it just quite hasn't panned out that way probably a few different things um I would imagine that some of it is the fact that Justin probably was always gifted at creating offense, moving the puck, um, running a power play, jumping up in the rush, but always had limitations probably dating back to his days at Wisconsin um, in defending and reading the play and reacting and engaging physically when he has to and, and not when he doesn't. Um, and so that probably was those holes in his game were likely overshadowed by the the numbers he put up offensively which were astronomical especially that one year um in the the 12 13 year in in the minors uh but beyond that i I can't imagine for a guy who is whatever he'd have been 21 years old he's 25 now how many coaches he had 
Had five coaches? He's had too many. He went five coaches. How many management groups? Different systems. Different teammates. Turmoil. Turnover. And um, that's not going to be a way to develop anyone. It can happen. Doesn't mean you won't become a a very good player. And you know, sort of Taylor Hall certainly become a really really good player um, out of that same situation. But maybe uh, Justin needed a little bit more stability, a little more coaching, and he didn't really get enough of it consistently with the same message that he could absorb and, and translate onto the ice, given all the turnover that's happened in Edmonton. Yeah, you know, I mean, as you know, I work for the Oilers Entertainment Group. To me, this isn't all on the player. Okay. Nope. To me, uh, the, the, you know, Yakupov in that locker, and hey, Yakupov has aspects of his game that I don't like, but he scored 17 goals that year. And Ralph Kruger... Um, kind of knew how to handle European players. I mean, he coached in Europe for so long, and he was I, – I, I don't even know if I appreciated Ralph enough when he was here as the coach because there were times I thought, wow, man, it's it's really positive. Like, and I, don't get me wrong. Like, Mike, I'm a positive energy guy, but don't BS positivity, you know what I mean? We, and, and But Neil and Justin Schultz, were never the same after Ralph left. Dallas came in. Dallas had some success in the minors. Uh, this was a very different team. He asked the team to do some things differently. The They changed kind of, oh, we're going to go to a swarm. No, we're not going to go to a swarm. <laughs> right? And, and there was some inexperience there. And Kruger had coached everywhere. Like, let's not forget, he'd been with the Oilers the two previous years as an associate coach, but he coached in Europe and coached at different levels and in different leagues. And... Um, and then we, you know, and, and then last year after Dallas was removed, Todd Nelson came in and just kind of, he had to, you know, the room was fractured. There's no other way to say it. And he had to come in and kind of just create more of a positive environment again. And ironically enough, Yakupov and Schultz play spiked up. And then McClellan comes in and he, he's here for the long term, right? So he wants yep. to put the right structure in and the right process into the team's game. And a higher level of accountability, I think, in, in fairness, than maybe what Todd Nelson. Todd Nelson was just trying to get through that back half of last year, and so we've seen regression again with Yakupov and and Schultz. Because I, I, I got to tell you, Mike, I thought I thought Schultz would be a forty-point guy this year. I did, and it, and I thought Yak would be, you know, well, I wasn't sure what they were going to get out of Yak, but I thought he'd score twenty to twenty-five goals. And neither guy is going to be able to deliver that. And in the process, Shirelli, what do you think Shirelli's thinking with those two players? Well, that's a great question because, you know, he's new to the scene, but they're two important pieces of whatever he's going to try to do or probably were two important pieces to start the year of what he thought they would become. Um, and you make really good points. Different coaches come in with different agendas, different job security. And uh, certainly Todd McClellan has as much as – uh, of security as, it, as any coach could have in the league right now and trying to get the team to turn around. But uh, if you're Peter Sorelli and you're looking at Justin Schultz and um, you're wondering, can it happen for him here? There are moments when Todd McClellan has been exasperated with Justin Schultz's play and he hasn't produced the offense despite you know having relatively good forwards to play with on occasion um, when everyone's healthy for Edmonton. So for Justin Schultz, you're like, well, he makes 3.9. We got to qualify him around that, at that number. Um, do we want to do that? We're certainly not going to commit any long-term dollars to him just yet. We'll have to have yeah. him 
uh, earn it, show us more, but do we want him even at four? Or is it better to perhaps parlay Justin Schultz into, well, listen, if Roman Polak's a second rounder, as a pending unrestricted free agent, then I would imagine Justin Schultz, despite all of his holes and warts and struggles, is that worth at least that? I don't think he's a first rounder. I don't, because first rounders are just, they have the cachet that teams won't trade them. But I think he's a second rounder, because you have control of him for a couple more years if you like him. His upside is, I think, greater than Roman Polak's, if that is what a second rounder will garner you. Um, and so does Peter Shirelli think that perhaps the organization, and probably Justin at this point, would be better off somewhere else, um, just having a fresh start and getting a draft pick for him? That's what he's deciding right now in the next week. And I would believe he probably has decided that, that uh, for everyone's best interest, Justin's included, that uh, it might be time to move on. For Yak, it's another situation. He's first overall. I mean, that's, I know he wasn't picked by Peter Shirelli, but he's first overall pick. And there's probably more pressure to get something of value out of him. So you, it, it, would, it would not be a good look for a guy to be taken first overall, then whatever it would be, four years later, be traded for a third rounder. It's a pretty precipitous fall for a guy uh, ranked that high. So you would be selling very, very low right now on Neil Yakupov. Um, You know, they have one more year of him signed at 2-5. That's a pretty manageable salary in today's NHL. So I would think not on Yakupov unless he's part of a bigger deal, unless he's packaged in with something else. But if you're just going to flip Yakupov to move him along to get a third rounder or something like that, I'm, I'm... guessing that probably would not be as likely a move as Justin Schultz getting dealt here before the deadline. Remember, Scott Housen traded Filatov for a third rounder. Yeah, which, again, was a, a yeah. pretty stark admission of a, of a failed draft. Yeah. So um, Even if it's not yours, it's still the organizations and the fans react to it and, and all that that entails. And uh, maybe the fil- third rounder of Filatov probably was a fair trade given the way Nikita Filatov so my, my guess is if they end up moving Yakupov at some point, that it'll likely be for uh, a prospect. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then for Justin Schultz, uh, I also think it's going to be a prospect. I, I I see that sort of move. And I, again, I work for the club, Mike, and I'm telling you, the orders need to look internally on both uh, the cases of these two players and accept some. It's not all on the player. It's just there's so much, to, and there are two of the guys that ended up becoming collateral damage. But it's painful to watch, like the lack of confidence that Justin plays with at times. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean the fans, the fans have started to boo him now. Um, yeah. And and I have empathy. Part of me, I get frustrated at times too watching Justin a bit, but I also have empathy for what's happened because it's it's kind of staggering, really. I mean, three years ago, Craig McTavish said, you know, or two actually two years ago. Craig Metavich said he thought Justin Schultz might be able to win a Norris Trophy one day. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, certainly players are not absolved from all the blame. They're in charge of their yes. own careers and how they treat themselves and how they prepare and how they improve or do not. But they also are, are There's other factors impacted that... by the organization, yes. the people that are put around them that are tasked with getting them in a position to succeed and getting the most out of them. And both these guys probably haven't had the best support staff given the turnover at Edmonton. That is 100% fair. And maybe speaks to the resolve and talent of some of the guys who have. The fact that Eberle and, and Hall and these guys have thrived yeah. in a bit of a dysfunctional time there for the last five years yeah. uh, tells you how good those players are. 
Well, and, you know, I, I, it's been my, and I, I mean, I, I've known some of these people for a long time now that have had input on some of the decisions that have gotten made. I've known, you know, <laughs> one of the guys for 28 years. And um, I, I do think there were some people in this organization that have cheered for the underdog. So I look at a guy like Brandon Davidson, and it's a great story. And the owners are going to have to—they're going to have to get him signed to either a two or four-year deal. He's a UFA in three years, and he's just exceeded expectation every step of the way. But people have cheered for, and sometimes I—you I, I, know—some people think now the owners just gave too much for their top picks. But there's been some of those guys with higher-end skill in the past that have—you know—they've almost had to prove it more. You know, there's been a little breaking down and building them up going on, which I don't believe that's how you handle players today. And conversely, I look at Davidson, and it's, it's it's remarkable. Like, he was on the ice. The orders were shorthanded for a five-on-three. He didn't leave the ice on the five-on-three. And, I mean, did you, I guess here's where I'm going, Mike. Four years ago, if you had told me Justin Schultz might not be in the long-term plans of the Edmonton Oilers after he picked up 27 points in, in, or, you know, in, in 48 games, and Brandon Davidson was going to be factored in long term, I would have said you're on planet Zoltar. You know, like to me, Brandon Davidson was a long, long shot, long term prospect. And Justin Schultz was a guy that looked capable of, of, of giving offense in the back end. And he looked at that time to be better than Tyson Berry and better than TJ Brody. And we wouldn't say that today. Tyson Berry's going to get $6 billion. Yeah, Tyson Berry's become the new age NHL defenseman. Yeah, uh, the smaller guy can move the puck and score points. And TJ Brody is—I mean, he, he's one of the kind of top 15 defensemen in the entire NHL. So both of those guys have have skyrocketed. But yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have been the only one. I wouldn't—I wouldn't have was four years ago. I would never have heard of him. Um, and and Justin Schultz was looking like he was going to be the real deal, certainly with some holes, but an offensive guy that could uh, you could count on to do what he does all the time. And they've gone opposite directions since then. Again, partly good for Brandon Davidson. Yep. Good for him for working at it, staying with it, improving on things he has to improve on, finding a way to get the coaches and organizations trust. Um, and and didn't go the same way for Justin Schultz. But yes, absolutely. There's every guy is different, Bob. You know this, especially today. Yeah. Every guy is different. Every guy's got his own unique way that he is best handled and whether that is on ice off ice um coat how he want how he's coached whether it's visually or or audio or in practice whatever it is everyone just is different and and it's on organizations to recognize that and the more quickly and accurately they can recognize that for every single player they have the more chance those players have to be their best and uh they might have just they might have missed the boat with Justin because it looked like he had lots of potential, lots of good things that he could offer, um, and, and he just hasn't found a way to, to to translate it consistently in the NHL. And that's partly him, but that's most definitely partly the organization. All right. Uh, quickly, uh, the Maple Leafs are done. Uh, i got to tell you, the, the return they got today was exceptional. San Jose over two number twos. I, Exquisite. Do you not agree? Exquisite. Yeah. I mean, like Roman Polak, I get he's a he's the kind of guy good teams want, tough, physical, bottom pairing defenseman, expiring cap, good guy, good pro, all those things that play with him in St. Louis, all those things. He doesn't move the puck well, he doesn't skate well. Um, 
there are limits to his game. And, and Nick's balling. I mean, he scored his first goal in like 60 regular season games last game. So to get two twos for those two guys is, is fantastic. And I like Lou Lamorello's idea of maybe jumping the gun a little bit here. Get what you can get now. Sure, there may be bidding wars at the deadline, but those kind of guys that Toronto has, and this is where being an experienced GM and recognizing the market, the kind of players that Toronto has, there's not going to be a bidding war for Nick Spalling. You're not going to get a second up to a first. It's never going to happen, even for Roman Polak. So you recognize what you have and strike while the iron's hot. If teams want to get a jump before they can replace their options with somebody else, do it now because – even to get Matthias out of here, fourth rounder, you get another pick, another opportunity. A couple second rounders for these two. P.A. Parento's on his way out the door. Grabner, maybe. Uh, and, those are, and James Reimer, who knows. But, you know, there's more coming still, I think. Uh, at least a couple more for Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, and you know what? They're just going to sign guys like that again next year as well. And they're going to yeah. do the same thing all over again. And that's... Uh, you know, people go, well, why haven't the Oilers moved Purcell or Schultz? You know, part of it's the money. I mean, Purcell's making 4.5 and Schultz is 4. They, they'll become secondary guys if and when that time comes as we close in on the trade deadline. So now the one thing I must say, and I'm sure you'd agree with me, Mike, sometimes I get the sense from the folks in Toronto that, you know, the way they talk up Marner, and Marner's a gifted offensive player, but the way they talk up Marner and Nylander, like we're not talking McDavid and Drysaddle here. I, I hope there's that realization in Teal. they got a great coach. He's put in good structure. That team's been fairly competitive until lately. Uh, I think they're going to go on the total crapper in the final 20 games here. Yep. But they're, 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 they're the team that's hoping to win the lottery to get Austin Matthews because they don't have that right now. Agreed? Yeah. They, they've done half the battle, and, and they've done a nice job of it, establishing a culture, getting a good coach, a foundation. They've cleared the decks, so they have flexibility and lots of draft picks. Now, some might say that's the easiest half. Now, the next half is you've got to fill your team with good players through the draft, through hitting some home runs on second and third rounders, through um, smart trades, and maybe, in Toronto's case, um, some unrestricted free agent signings or offer sheets to take advantage of your financial clout and flexibility. But, uh, you know, I haven't seen this Marner play a ton, and I certainly haven't seen him play enough against men. Uh, I know William Nylander is considered to be one of the best players outside the NHL. Yep. So he's not McDavid, he's not Dreisel, he's not Hall. But that's, that's good, good for Edmund because there's not many guys like that. But as yep. far as guys not in the NHL, he might be one of the best. Yep. Um, and Mitch Barner, he's lighting up the OHL. It looks like he's got a lot of talent. I see some fancy goals on YouTube, um, but I still need to see him do it you know, in the NHL against men who are a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Uh, hopefully that he has the offensive flair that he shows in the junior level, in the pros, but that's a question mark. That's not a guarantee like it would be for McDavid. Well, and I, I think those two kids, you know, they, to me they translate to an Everly-type player, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, pretty that's really good. That, yeah. you know, Jordan's led this team in scoring three of the last five years. Where are you uh, this year? Or this weekend. Uh, I am. You know what? I'm going into Washington tomorrow to watch the hard-charging Capitals, who are very quietly going about a historically good year. I think I read that they had the fewest losses or most wins through 56 games in the history of the the league, which is shocking to hear. Yeah. Even like, I'm like, what about the 79 Habs? Didn't they only lose like 10 games? But I guess they had a lot of ties then. Yeah. Because the overtime win for someone to get a win. So, yeah, they they are right there. And, um, you know, maybe to their credit, are heads and tails the Stanley Cup favorite in the East to come is, out of. Is Anaheim there. has Anaheim worked there? Because I I got some flack from a couple of texters earlier because I said I could see Anaheim or L.A. coming out of the West, and I wouldn't write Anaheim off. And people are like, "Oh, you're out the lunch stuff." Or do you think Anaheim's got a shot? 
Absolutely. Uh, and I know they're every, everybody's sexy pick before the season started. Yes. But I think with what they've done now, the way things have stabilized, you know, L.A. will be a very tough series in the second round. It's hard to bet against Chicago because Chicago. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a new team out of the Central this year. I don't think it's Chicago. Chicago's, I don't think Chicago is making the conference final. they got to get another D. And the other yeah. thing is you don't tend to go year after year after year after year. It's That's what makes them great and has made them so exceptional the last several years. But at some point, someone's going to step up. may not be St. Louis with all their injuries. Yeah. Um, might not might even be Minnesota. Who knows? But it's, uh, you know, there's always surprises. And it would not surprise me at all if Anaheim got back to the Western Conference Finals or even to the Finals and, uh, and, and maybe knocked off some of those heavyweights, L.A. and Chicago. Mike, we appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, man. All right, Bob. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good week. Yeah, I will. Uh, from NHL Hockey on Rogers, that is Mike Johnson. 12.54 in Edmonton. We'll take a two-minute timeout uh, from Rexall Places as Oilers now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched. 12.57 in Edmonton. Brendan Ulrich back at the 6.30 Ched Studios. Bob Stoffer over at uh, Rexall Place. So rejoin us after the 1 o'clock news. And he'll be taking your phone calls if you want to jump in. The Oilers are 30th overall as we speak. Trade deadline a week away. Uh, lots to hit on. You can call us 780-496-0063. I should mention that uh, New West Travel and Transit Holidays have teamed up to bring you a great selection of special travel packages for destination weddings, honeymoons, sports packages, river cruises, golf getaways, and for the outstanding employees and salespeople in your company. Company. New West Travel can design specific meeting and incentive reward packages to a variety of destinations around the world that will meet your budget. Plus, they all include parking at Edmonton International Airport Value Park. For more information, call the friendly staff at New West Travel or go online to newwesttravel.com. When we come back, we're taking your phone calls 780-496-0063. Text us 630-630. Gord Stellick coming up at 135. This is Oilers Now.